This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so hey, just enjoy the show. Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. How are you going? Great. That was a really, really fast restart. You must have some very recent equipment there. Yeah, well, I was restarting uh, my computer, and uh, so I had to go get some gerbil chow (laughs) from the grocery store across the street that stocks gerbil chow to feed all the gerbils inside my now completely archaic uh, computer device, which still looks very modern. Mm. That's what's deceptive about it, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the design was so ahead of its time that it still, uh, to me at least, looks very, very modern. I have uh, two uh, beloved Apple devices at my house right now that, that won't turn on at all, <laughs> and, and they look like something from Star Trek. They're so modern. Oh, they're very modern. I, my extremely modern phone has, um, has been engaging me in conversation recently hmm. about how my iCloud is almost full. Oh, yeah. My, my wife wakes up to that literally every morning. <laughs> and it's interesting uh, when I think about it uh, because, uh, of course, the, I mean, how can a cloud be full? Mm. Oh, my right? goodness. You know what I mean? When I, think about, <laughs> when I think about it, a cloud can't be full. I mean, it rains when it, when it gets full. A cloud rains. But uh, clouds can get very, very big before you would describe them as full. They can retain a lot of matter. But my uh, phone insists that it's time for me to either mm-hmm. upgrade to a to a to a plan, a, a bigger cloud. Basically, it's saying attach some additional eels to your neck, <laughs> or the alternative is go to Apple slash menu dot uh, details slash. Bitcoin slash eels. <laughs> slash Bitcoin slash eels. And they'll walk you through a very easy process mm-hmm. where you can manage your content uh, in the sense that each app and uh, deliverable has a content management capability, which enables you to not know at all anything about how much space things are using or how that is part of how, how their operating system adjudicates. Uh, what, they, what they do is they show you some bars, some colored bars, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that indicate where the, what, what your, uh, how full your cloud is. Yeah. Uh, the biggest one of those bars is something you can do nothing about, nor can you understand it. And then the other bars are, are similarly opaque. The uh, the bar called other, other right, and then uh, but but what's wonderful is that they say like oh if you'd like to manage your content and which is what I would actually prefer to do, I would prefer to manage my content. Mm-hmm. I would prefer to manage what is on the phone, and not have the phone full of secret contracts, not have it full of user end user agreements that give away all of my information to uh, Chelsea Manning. I would prefer to just be able to go in there and see very clearly what's there and call the things I do not want. Uh, and they present it as though that is the possi- that is a, not only a possibility, but it's just a simple, simple process. You just follow the little arrow uh, from, you know, Apple Care down to Apple Don't Care. Snap. <laughs> and, uh, 
And yet, uh, I would need a, a computer maths uh, degree from a community college. I think technically it's a certificate. <laughs> a certificate. I would need a certification that you can get on nights and weekends mm-hmm. while working uh, your, uh, your overnight shift at Denny's. And then I would also need, and this is the key, this is the, this is the thing that, um, that they don't tell you, I would need one year of free time that I had nothing better to do than to sit and figure out how to freaking delete th- what I can delete from my phone. So, so in summary, it just works. <laughs> and what's amazing is it looks very, very modern. And everything, it's a very modern message my wife wakes up to every day. It says your, very, cloud, your cloud is full. Your cloud is full. It's so satisfying <laughs> because it's so just the, the fonts were chosen very. And the, the chamfered edges and uh-huh. the, the hand weight of it, mm-hmm. the, hand, mm-hmm. the hand feel. Yeah, it snaps to a grid and it. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but any, in any case, so I'm very excited. And, you know, and what's funny is that you just, you feel, you and I have, you and I resist resignation all the time, Right. I do, I, do, I do not like to make decisions from a place of resignation. I know that you don't either. I'd prefer and, not to. I, and, I, 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 like to. I like to understand what I'm resigning to and, and why. Right. And this entire eel-based economy is a, an economy predicated on resignation. We just we, we give them the, uh, like the appearance of a choice where one of the choices is non-functioning and the other choice we just keep saying like it's so simple all you have to do is just upgrade get just pay just pit, start paying in on a monthly basis uh-huh. or of course there's this very simple other direction you could go which which is a which is a trap street at every turn like dead end dead end dead end and it all just redirects you back it's like that scene in animal house hey welcome to the frat party you know have you met uh, <laughs> muhammad and Ahmed, and so, so, uh, and so, you get back to this thing, and eventually, your phone stops working, your computer stops working, and you resignedly pay for the thing. Just you just pay for the hope that it will that it will that a bigger cloud will get you back in the game. Mm -hmm. And I just cannot. I just I see that eel, and it's you know it's funny. Like eels are unpleasant looking, but this eel has a kind of like cheeky smile he just wants to attach himself this remora wants to attach himself to my neck vein for some reason it reminds me a little bit of i don't know what the what the best example of this is but it's it's like how they put uh atms in casinos you know Hmm. where you can go and you can they're like special atms because in addition to being very costly atms you can get like cash advances and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and Hmm. you know when you're in the headiness of gambling um it's not like you're making a note of every 100 or 200 or 500 dollars that you're taking out. You know what I mean? It isn't you're not really keeping track of that, but it feels like it feels sustaining to be able to keep gambling. I'm I'm not much of a gambler, but I but I've seen it. Yeah. And and that's the thing here with the, with the eels that you're describing is that a, a solution is presented in the form of an eel. Mm-hmm. Just just agree to attach this to somewhere anywhere anywhere that's convenient for you where it can get blood <laughs> and we're pretty sure everything will be fine. And you go, "Well, you know what? Uh, I have a lot less blood now. I'm carrying an eel and it's still not working." They go, "Oh, it's no problem at all. We'll just we'll just give you another eel." Here's another eel. The thing is these eels are small. 
Mm-hmm. They're you see, know people the, the listeners imagining an eel like a fantastical eel like right. so, something something like a, like a like a Grimm Brothers eel. Uh-huh. These, these are not these, no. This is more like they're more like night crawlers. Yeah, little, I mean, just little guys. They're little eels, and and the thing you know they're like. I, w- I, I hesitate to call them leeches because leeches have... I it's mean, such that, an ugly, it's such it's an ugly word. really pejorative. It's uh, from a different time. Term, that's right. But, and I think they are more properly remora. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it, my resistance to it is not to any one particular eel. Mm-mm. It is to the idea of having eels on me. <laughs> and if you put one, and even if you make them thinner and have the battery last longer, it's still an eel. Even if that eel looks like something out of a out of a like a like seventeen deleted minutes from two thousand one, a space odyssey. Even if it is a Kubrickian eel, I do not want it on me. And I think this stems from a time when I was on Outward Bound, and we uh, we had been paddling our canoes for several weeks in the, in the uh, Boundary Waters canoe area of northern Minnesota and southern uh, Canada, Ontario, I think. And uh, we hated each other, everyone, everyone on that trip. Uh, I was put into a group of much bigger boys, uh, older boys, who were all sent there by their, ver- the, their various, um, like, uh, juvenile detention facilities in their respective towns. Outward Bound can be a form of cutting trail, right? It can be a place for yeah. you some people to get straightened out. Yeah, and there were, there were lots of people, like there were lots of groups in my, when, when I arrived at Outward Bound, you know, there were hundreds of kids there and they all are separated into different kind of can, uh, different squads. And there were squads that were co-ed where, where they were, we would we would sometimes encounter them, you know, when you're when you're out in the in the boundary waters area. There are some choke points, kind of where the where one lake feeds into another, and even if you're out there for three weeks, like you're going to run into some other people just because you, you know, the, these waterfalls or whatever. Um, and we would encounter these other groups, and they were they would like they would canoe by us singing, like they were singing their song or whatever, boys and girls, like. Uh, out camping and learning skills. Yeah, that sounds like summer camp. Yeah, and my group were all, they were like, uh, we were 12, 12 of us, maybe. 10 total bullies and felons. Kids with like knives in their boots. And then me, uh, and they put me in that group because I was big sized. And also because I think I was sent, my folks sent me there to uh, straighten me out. But I was not, like, compared to the kid from Baltimore, like, the degree to which I was on the wrong path in life was not anywhere close to the, you know, I was not living in a world where I was smoking cigarettes, throwing knives, and holding other kids' heads under the water, right? I was just, I was, I was just sulking, <laughs> um, and sulking, at least in, in in my culture, was like as bad as as uh, as being a violent teen perpetrator. So, but, I, but it was more like you were you were a pain in the ass on the wrong path rather yeah. than actively dangerous. Yeah, I was a pain in the ass, and so they sent me to this, and I I don't know what box they checked where they were like, you know. Send him, send him with the group that, that, uh, 
is like uh, basically penal. But I was I was in the airport in Duluth, Minnesota, and a kid that ended up being in my squad um, sat down next to me, and he was there with a uh, corrections officer who was escorting him to Outward Bound. And I was like, you know, I, I read too many Archie comics or something. You know, that was that was my crime. But um, but anyway, so we several weeks in or however many weeks in uh, uh, right at the point where we were living on brown sugar and butter because all the other kids had all the bigger kids had stolen all the food. We arrived at a little tiny we were we were canoeing through this slow moving river and the river uh, had had a drop like a like a 10 foot waterfall and we we saw it in time and we kind of pulled our canoes over to the side and portaged them around and then and it was incredibly hot and humid and here was this beautiful little waterfall kind of undiscovered waterfall out in the middle of Canada and we took off our clothes and jumped in and it was like one of those few moments on this whole long trip where there was any feeling of camaraderie no one was trying to kill anyone else it was like everybody was so happy to have found this little place and you could you could duck under the waterfall and and pop up and breathe and there were little there was a little bubble there and it was just like a perfect moment one of the like three times on that whole trip where i didn't fear for my life and then the first kid gets out of the pond and the rest of us who are in the water can see that he is covered with leeches Ugh. leeches that are the size of coke bottles oh god and he doesn't see it because he's just climbing out and like and we're all like Oh, you know, like, oh no. And then also, oh shit, there, those leeches are all over us too. And so we, you know, we all climbed out of there and had to, had to, in that feeling, in that state of complete panic, figure out how to get the leeches off, you know, with somebody had to go find a lighter and, and go through this whole terrible process. And, you know, they were inside of our shorts and, and so I have this leech, this terrible leech memory where every time my phone offers me an opportunity to make my cloud bigger, I feel like there are leeches in my shorts. <laughs> and I can't. You get, you, I, get tri- you get triggered. I can never. Oh, that's exactly right. I can never shake that feeling. And then all of a sudden I'm right back, like sleeping in a tent with a kid that's trying to kill me. And... um it's, 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 I mean, I wouldn't call it PTSD, but it is a, I, I do have some strong feelings. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a hell of a story. Well, <laughs> that's a horrible, what I, I, while you're, while you're talking, I was just looking, I was just wondering, like, it seems like in order for our bound to work, it has to be hard or diff, has to be difficult on some level, <clears throat> maybe not in the way that you're describing, but like, you know, I'm just wondering like how often people just get injured or die doing it. It just seems like there must be horrible injuries, whether or not it's from a felon with a knife in his boot. It seems like people must just die doing outward bound. It's very, it, it can be very hard, but I think that, you know, I think what ends up happening is you get really qualified, uh, guides and counselors and, but, but there's a lot of variation there. Right. And so, mm-hmm. So in our case, our two guides were when you at first at first blush, you think like, you know, wow, we we got the we got the 
um, we lucked out here because my, our guide had hair down in the middle of his back, a long beard, and his co-guide was a, a woman that was like really strong and, and, um, and had, uh, actually had a flat top haircut. And this is 1983. I mean, it was, it, wow. was, it was really hard. They were really hardcore outdoor uh, superstars who could live off of moss and you know had had basically lived out out of doors for a long long time and were very very capable but what they were not was youth uh guidance counselors or violence uh counselors and so their attitudes about all of the interpersonal shit going on between the kids was just like um I mean, they had no way to really they, – they, they, they did not counsel us and they had no way to impose discipline. So they would say, all right, everybody, you know, here we are. Like unpack your tents and set them up and let's get a fire going and, and uh, start cooking dinner. And like four kids would be like, no, fuck you. <laughs> and, you, can't, you, can't, you can't like, you know, send them to detention. Yeah, right. I mean, we're already out – we're already you, you can't exclude them from the group at that point. You can't refuse to feed them. And so because and the thing is they that at a certain point we got far enough out that none of these kids could escape just because if they left the group they would die in the wilderness. So we were we were we were bound together, but that that tipping point where that I think that outward bound works toward where you feel that, where, where that, 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 um, that binding starts to feel like uh, family or something. Like you are, you're really depending on one another and that, that interdependence becomes a thing that you treasure and, and that just never took root. It was weeks and weeks of like these kids just – just petulant and stealing and refusing and fighting and I, and, and I'm, I was such a nerd that I that I really wanted to have the transformative experience right I'd read the literature I was like I'm going to come out of this um, you know this is going to be the thing that makes me a man you know even even as I was saying like oh I hate I hate my parents and being forced to do this there was that other side of me that was like I'm I'm ready to embrace the transformative experience. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to survive, be a survivalist and and you know, at every turn I was just sort of pushed because I was younger than they were. I was this, I was big, but I was I was 2 years younger than every other kid. Wow. And they just pushed my face in the dirt and just, you know, take my food out of my hand and and to dare me to do something about it. Sounds, and, how long? How long were, we, how long were you out there? Oh, uh, weeks and weeks. I mean, really? It was, you know, it was an intensive program, and I think the I think the guidance counselors were, or counselors. I mean, our guides were trying to that you know they were operating on the assumption that that this couldn't last forever. Eventually, this Lord of the Flies stuff would would uh, would mutate into brotherly love but it never did and i don't know if we were still out there together 20 30 years later uh whether there would have ever have been 
you know, I think, I think that was a classic group of kids that left to their own devices would have starved to death and died of exposure rather than ever band together to do something. You know, they would have willingly and willfully done it. That's what makes me think that the kind of guides that they have, um, obviously they'd have to have the experience with, you know, a variety of challenges involving being outdoors for a long time, you know, outdoorsy people. But like, it really seems like uh, irresponsible to have people who aren't able to almost like a drill team, uh, drill, drill sergeant type, but like somebody who really knows how to get inside of the head. I mean, just, just because it really, it only, it only takes one person going off the, uh, off the rails out there to, to really endanger a lot of people. Yeah. It and, seems like not intervening. It, I, you know, it sounds like that wasn't a strategy. It was just like, that's what they were capable of. Yeah, exactly. And, and that was the, that was the thing when I, when I, when we saw that other group of, of kids paddle, paddle, sort of paddle past us, um, at a, at an intersection of two lakes, you know, and they were headed this way and we were headed that way and they were singing up until that point. I, I had, I felt like through those weeks that this was the experience that everyone was having. And so this must be what outward bound is. And this must be what, uh, they must do this on purpose. And you come out the other side and it's like you went to, it's like you went to like a really you're, you're awful- a camp you're a camp north star and then like all the all the rich kids are over there <laughs> yeah right right i mean you know i i felt like it's it's like going to uh it's like going to jail except there are also mosquito bites but then <laughs> they should use it they should put that right on the brochure but then these other kids were having so much fun i realized that this wasn't the experience of of all of everybody that was doing this it was just what was happening to us and that was the thing that made me, you know, that was maybe my first experience with that feeling of like, I still have 11 more days that I have to survive. And I don't, I, I cannot look 11 days into the future because I will, I'll panic and, and, I, and I'll be paralyzed. I have to just you know, do what I'm doing right now, get, get to the end of today, make it asleep. And then, you know, tomorrow is a new day. But that, that sense of like, I mean, when you're 13, 11 days might as well be a million days. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, and uh, when I was, uh, when I was walking across Europe, obviously I had a much bigger problem of like, I still have three and a half months of this to do. And, uh, (laughs) so I just have to keep my, you know, keep my head down and put one foot in front of the other. It makes that walk and and so many of your other like self-imposed, uh, survival games seem, uh, I had not heard your outward bound story. So I look at those things in a new way now, because like you knew what it was like to be out there feeling desperate and yet you put yourself in that situation many times after that. Yeah. And I wonder whether or not. Uh, that outward bound thing kind of set it, it cast the die a little bit um, and if i had if i'd gone to that and it had a a merry old time whether i'd have a different relationship to the sort of the survivalist um, 
adventures that I play. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I, I honestly don't know. And the thing is, like, you know, I I meet people who have been to Outward Bound. No one. It's not like we sit and and uh, and have encounter sessions about our experience. But I think a lot of people have wonderful experiences at Outward Bound, and um. And so, and you know, obviously that was that was decades ago when I went. So, and and I and I still am glad that I experienced it, but it was, um, you know, it was an example of of like uh, what happens when you put your kid when you try to you try to modify your kid by putting them through a very grueling experience rather mm-hmm. than modify your kid rather than a not trying to modify your kid or b modify your kid by putting them in a uh like a an uh, try and find a place where they can bloom well that's that's what actually what i'm really thinking about right now is that um you know even as as young as our kids are i i, I feel like we can probably both also well, again i'll speak for myself i can really see how you know, what matters is the accumulation of what happened every day. What happened yesterday? What happened yesterday? What happened yesterday? Like, it, it's, it's not so different from, from like the difference between like, when did, when did somebody get addicted to cigarettes? Was it the first time they heard about cigarettes? No. Was it the first cigarette they had? Probably not. Maybe with crack, but not so much with smoking. Was it after the first pack? No. It was sometime between the first pack and the day they died. They got addicted. And it's very difficult to pick out one day. But you can, you know, at some point you can definitely say it's going to be harder than not at this point to stop smoking, just mm-hmm. as, as one example. And, you know, would sending somebody out on Outward Bound make that go away? Possibly. It's just that we are the accumulation of so many little micro experiences, micro decisions, um, you know, little tiny things. And it's, I guess the reason I mention it here is I wonder, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing that anything ever works for something uh-huh. like that. Because uh-huh. you take somebody who's like, could not be any way other than how they are in some ways, good or bad. I mean, it's nice to think like, oh, yeah, you know, I've raised a good kid or this is a good person or, you know, this is the straight A kid or whatever. But the thing is, you are whatever you are and you so are whatever you are. And it's amazing to think that any kind of cold water therapy like that uh, works out at all, unless Mm. it's really tuned to like, for example, you know, I I guess I can think of some kind of like – I don't know, feel good TV show idea of like a kid who's actually very independent, some kind of Captain Kirk character who's having trouble fitting in in school and discovers they have leadership skills once they're put to a challenge. Yeah. But I mean, how, how do you know what's going to be right for somebody? How do you know whether that's just going to make them horribly bitter and covered with leeches? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that Outward Bound what, did talk a lot about leadership. Uh, but I was 13 in a group of 15-year-olds, and I was never going to be accepted as a leader by them. And when I would, you know, when I would say like, "Hey, everybody, can't we just like stop fighting for a minute and try and get this fire built?" Uh, what that would do is it would turn their attention back to me for just long enough uh, for everybody to agree that the thing to do right now was to throw rocks at John. Like whatever their other fighting was, you know, if I stuck my <laughs> they were hand, willing to set that aside to just focus yeah. on you. Yeah, they would all band together to destroy somebody uh, if that person stuck their head up. Like there was a Jewish kid from Salt Lake City, and um, like the first hour of the first day, the other kids agreed that his name was Bagel, Ugh. and but he was also from Salt Lake, so that confused them a lot but like 
you know, imagine, imagine being called bagel for a month. Um, and he was, you know, he was sent there for some kind of juvenile uh, reformation too, but he, um, he wasn't violent, but the thing was he knew that he couldn't really ally himself with me either because if he allied himself with me, like I was the, I was the weakest. So he needed to, when, when the time came to, uh, they were dumping on me, he needed to join in that too. Mm, yeah. I mean, it sounds like basic seventh grade kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, because all he was hoping was that they wouldn't turn their attention on him. So, I mean, the, the, and, and I look at it when I, when I'm, you know, I spend a lot of time now looking at the criminal justice system and the, uh, this cold water therapy thing where you bust some kid for selling pot and instead of slapping his hand and sending him home to his mother, because he's a black kid, you put him in jail or you put him in juvenile detention and then he gets out and his next crime is just that he didn't show up for his meeting. Right, right, right. And so then that's a, got, that's a different kind of leech. Yeah. Then like the, people the, have to pay the, all those fines and all of those fees for things. Those are just leeches, 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 leeches. That's right. And so then you, and he, then he gets a fine because he didn't show up for his meeting and then he doesn't pay the fine. And then it's, you know, then that's a serious uh, problem because now he's defaulting. And so that's another charge. And pretty soon you get somebody who never did anything. You know, their initial crime was just, I mean, when I think about the number of people in the United States right now who are in jail for pot, yeah, and we are on the verge of legalizing pot nationwide. It's certainly legal here. There are, there are people standing in front of the jail smoking legal pot while people inside the jail who were sent to jail for pot look out the windows at them and you know and like went to jail for pot and then when they got out failed to report to their parole officer and went to jail for a parole violation and you know and they end up in jail and jail and jail and jail and then they get out of jail and they can't find a job because they have a jail record and all for nothing and it's and and it's and it's based on this idea that like sending somebody to jail is going to that first time is going to straighten them up. And it's such a faulty notion that's based in, in a Calvinist that in that strange Calvinism that's, that's buried a hundred feet deep in the American psyche. Largely, largely unexamined. But, but, yeah. but, but there's but the, 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 we, we can all agree on cheese, right? That there is this that there, we, I think we can all agree that this person has some kind of ill humors that need to be worked out of them. <laughs> right? Yeah, we need to dunk them in the pond. It, it's, it's virtually it's virtually medieval. Yeah. But anytime somebody tries to solve any of these problems, once you like, like hearing you say this, I'm already sick to my stomach. Just yeah. when you talk about this, like it's it's so gross. There's a thing I'm um, somewhere on public radio the other day about you know everybody everybody for years now everybody's always said oh, homelessness. Oh, this is an easy problem. We'll just get, you, know, you just gotta build shelters. It's like you ever been in a homeless shelter? Like it's not a great place to be. Oh, you just gotta do this. You just gotta do that. Somebody tries comes along and tries to come up with something really novel. Like you were talking about the thing a while back about like actually setting people up in it and giving them a house and a place to live. Yeah. You know and that 
that actually helps the homeless problem because now they're not homeless anymore. And you're yeah, like, well, wait a minute, right. that's cheating. <laughs> like you can't actually help them, you know. But this this piece was about just you know it's so fascinating and as I say so so like stomach churning when you get into the implementation details of trying to fix this because you know. <laughs> People hear me joking about how much poop there is on the streets here. And you said this in, in that article, that interview with you. It's like nobody poops on the street because they want to. Yeah. They do it because there's nowhere else to go. And it's not these people are they, they may have mental health issues, but they're not crazy. I'll give you that. And so in this case, they're talking about how do you deal with like this? One of the single biggest problems that people who are homeless or on the edge have is like what to do with their stuff when they're doing something else. So like if you like if you want to try and get a job, like where do you get clothes? Where do you get a shower? And how do you have your five shopping carts be looked after like while you're trying to get a job? Right. It's virtually impossible. And people don't really think about that implementation detail. It's so mundane and so extremely sad that you don't kind of want to think about it too much. But like that's 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 daily life. Daily life for them is I have this is everything that I have in the entire world. And it looks like it looks like junk to you, but like this is what I have. And like, you know, <laughs> what are the steps between here and like now I'm providing for myself in this, you know, studio apartment? Right. So many steps. Well, and you just think about the number of times that I have, uh, I have prioritized uh, straightening out my file of envelopes, right? Like I have a, I have a, an, I have an enormous closet. It's not an enormous closet, but it is a closet that is full of stationary. Yeah, if you find some good vintage envelopes or good vintage right. stationary, you got to put it somewhere. Vintage envelopes. Uh, I'm not even, I am so, I, listeners think I'm kidding. I am not kidding. Colored, colored typing paper. Really nice folders back when they used to make good folders. Beautiful folders. Heavy, heavy bonds. Cardstock, yeah. Um, and, and then all of the sort of like vintage postcards and stuff, all, of, all unused and all, um, and I'm, I'm stockpiling it in, the, uh, in the hope that I will one day return to mailed correspondence, uh, that I will one day sit down with my cursive typewriter. You're, and, you're an epistolary survivalist. <laughs> and, and write heartfelt <laughs> letters on scented stationery that is, you know, from uh, 19th century France and mail these things. Um, but, you know, I have all this stuff. And what's funny is that the the time I do, it's not like I have recently spent any time organizing it, but I have spent time with this material. It gives me good great pleasure, but I have prioritized that over other things. Like I need to go straighten out my stationery right now instead of work on my book or my new album or uh, get some exercise. Right, you know, and so I'm very aware of. A major problem, I think that that um, that we that we never really think about, which is that uh, one of the one of the primary problems that people with mental health issues have is prioritization. And I'm incredibly sympathetic to the to the idea or to the just the the knowledge that so often you say, "Listen, you need to secure these necessities before you worry about your five shopping carts full of." Uh, you know, Taco Bell cups and the, and the person is like, I, I am resisting what you're saying. Like you have no idea how important these shopping carts full of Taco Bell cups are. And that, I mean, that little switch is something that I experience all the time personally, but I'm on the other side of, of a fence, but I could see myself very easily suffering a series of 
of defeats and just not being able to just practice mm-hmm. a kind of understanding of like the next step. I mean, the next step is so is for some people always so clear and for me is always so um, covered with vines, right? The next mm-hmm. step. It's just, it's just a ball of vines. But the, the, you know, more importantly, like at, the, at our core in our culture in particular, you can always, as you, as you start trying to treat homelessness or you start trying to address the criminal justice system or, you, you know, any one of these, you start dealing with income inequality, you always push down, push down, and you get to a certain level, a certain, a certain uh, tipping point with almost anybody you talk to where you arrive at the moment where they feel like, wait a minute now, that's not fair. Like that person has not done anything to deserve food and shelter. Yeah, it's like Kobayashi Maru. It's like you, you, this is, this, the way this game works is not in the way that it seems. And if you actually do the steps that are needed to win this game, you will by definition be cheating. Cheating, right. Yeah. Right. Because, because there is someone over here who is working hard and they are barely making it. Because it's a meritocracy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so this person's working hard and they're barely making it. You look at that and you go, right, that is not, I mean, that is unfair, but that person is really working hard. And then you talk about providing uh, an apartment for a homeless person and three squares a day which is what this other person who's working hard is barely achieving for themselves. And you just go, well, you can't just give that away to somebody. Uh, That wouldn't be fair. And that's the point at which you, you say, well, then that person goes and lives in the bushes because that's what they deserve. And addressing that cognitive uh, struggle in our culture is like, so hard because you don't you, you no one's really aware where it's coming from where that lesson originates that if you don't work if you don't try then then ultimately like you deserve to die you deserve to be pushed out of the village and um wander the desert and uh you know and the and the the standard for even being able to stay in in the game at the lowest level now is so much higher than it's ever been. Mm, God, you, yes. You can't live in the city unless you are really, really working hard. Oh, God, John, we had, our, we had our, you know, every couple of months comic meetup and a really, really nice guy and, uh, and his uh, girlfriend came. They, and they were just getting ready to move here from Atlanta. And uh, it's so funny. I feel like I have this conversation with people so often where I... I, I, I want all the words that come out of my mouth to be welcome. I really hope you enjoy it here. Uh, and I, 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 in my head, I'm forming those words, and I want those to be the words that come out. But instead, all that comes out is like a series of sighs. And like, uh, I was like, oh, I hope, I hope you like the It's the worst. Do, do not. It's terrible. Don't come here. It's bad. It's really bad. If you don't think it's bad, you're the problem. If you don't think this town is is it's like living inside of a godspeed you black emperor song like it is disintegrating around us and if you don't see that like it's totally snowpiercer like you are in a much you are in a different part 
of the motherfucking train if you do not see the shitstorm that everybody in this town is living through. Yeah. And, and, but, and I want that to come out as, congratulations on the move. I hope the job works out for you. <laughs> but, 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 but instead, that's, that's, that's how it comes out because, you know, it, it's so strange to me. And I, I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to be that guy. But, but here's the thing. Like Twitter uh, has this really nice building in a part of town that is now kind of like once wants to kind of fancy up because it's where Twitter is and stuff. But it's so strange that, y- you know, you've been to like Toulon, you know, that area like around Sixth and Market, like, mm-hmm. you know, between um, kind of the Civic Center, uh, like, you know, west of Civic Center. But it's it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. It's pretty gross. And it's just it's so strange to me that that some of the folks who are the most fortunate, like are walking straight past some of the grittiest stuff. I don't have to go there very often. I had to be there a couple weeks ago for something, for an event. And I was, I was shocked. Like walking out of the Civic Center BART and walking up, it was like, I this, is, this, is, this is like something from a science fiction dystopia. It's so gross and so desperate. And anyway, uh, welcome, my friend from Atlanta. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, hope, I hope this Congratulations. Job... <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, in every dystopian movie... Uh, there is like clear separation between the haves and the have-nots. Like there, there's always a metaphorical wall. Right. There's always a train that you have to make it through several armored doors to get to the front. <laughs> yeah. And what's, left to right, back to front. <laughs> what's amazing about San Francisco and Seattle is that it, there's no. I mean, there are walls, obviously, like people retreat behind walls, but in the, in the main complex of the city, the walls are all in people's minds. You know, you come down in, in, right. uh, in, your, in your skinny uh, pants and you go across the street to get uh, a $11 coffee beverage that was pooped out of a mon- monkey's butt and... Um, and you make it back across the street and back into the lobby and up and you just did not see the like the economic carnage that you had to literally step over to get to get the monkey poop coffee right so i mean i i, I sympathize with um with the young rich people who are embracing a, a radical ideology you know there are a lot of young uh there are a lot of millennial kids with a lot of um, opportunity who are channeling that frustration into into ideologies. Um, they are not the most self-reflective people either, but it really does feel like some something is um, something's got to happen, and I don't want it to be something. Something's gonna happen. I don't want it to be <laughs> a, a violent revolution. Like I that know. doesn't interest me. And I don't think that's a very good solution. I think historically, just in the last 200 years, we can look back at all the violent revolutions and it, uh, it's not too hard to say uh, that Martin Luther King and Gandhi had, and, and Mother Teresa had much better long-term results from, the way that, from their practice than the, uh, the revolutions of... 1917 or 1848 or um, even 1968. So I want to, I want, I want everybody to hear and see and get engaged and start making a difference. But boy, 
uh, speaking as somebody who is trying to do that, it's not, uh, it is not a easy. Cause like you say, those walls, those walls are there, even if they're not there, we, we can mentally make those walls. It's, it's just, you know, it's so weird. Maybe one for me personally, maybe one barometer of how good I feel about the culture is, is, is how much I'm constantly reminded of the movie Brazil. <laughs> and I'm thinking a lot about Brazil lately. And in this case now I'm thinking of the wonderful scene. <laughs> wonderful horrible scene when they're at the restaurant say the number when they're in the restaurant and a bomb goes off and people are bleeding and dying and and so of course then all the waiters rush around to bring up like folding screens so people don't (laughs) don't have to see the victims while they're still eating the other the other thing is hoskins keeps coming to me in a dream oh my god he's so great he's so great i I referenced brazil to somebody the other day in a political conversation and i was just greeted by blank stares Uh, have we really are, are we so are we so far oh my god it's brazil was the language a movie is so relevant today that it's kind of appalling that it was that relevant in 1986 or whenever it was it's it seems impossible that that movie has is just seems to make more sense all the time not just the bureaucracy but just the ineffectiveness the the ineffectiveness and the and the callowness and uh you said uh, Martin Luther King, and I wrote something down. You know, this has been a, you know, last week was kind of a big week for America. Yep. And yep. the one of the um, quotes people kept tossing out, a great quote from Martin Luther King, that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Yeah, so, and I, I, I use that quote a lot. And, and the response over the last several years from people on the left has been, really, do you really think that's true? Like, there's been so much cynicism. Right. Because you, you, have, you have a very optimistic approach to this, of saying, that, like in the case of Seattle, just for folks who don't know, you say, you've said over and over, we're on the brink of something really amazing happening in Seattle, and why can't everyone see that? Like, yeah, th- and- things are getting better. We have a liberal utopia in some ways. Now we have to get the implementation details right. Right, and, and, you know, and ultimately, like, I'm a historian, or I have a historian's view of things. And so if you look at, the, if you look at that arc in historical contexts really in any one you want to choose it's it's absolutely true it bends toward justice um and so that cynicism is just from people that are that can only see five years on either side or that don't think that way at all um and are only responding to how they're feeling right now or to what's politically expedient to say but yes, of course we are making progress. Everything we've ever done as human beings has been a progression toward something that we never talk about or try to define. And you know, there are a lot of people who believe that that progression is, uh, is uh, a kingdom after death <laughs> or um, that that progression is uh, to like have to personally ascend or to climb um, through reincarnation, a ladder of enlightenment, or you know, there are all these ideas about what happens to you, but we never talk about what we're doing, what happens to us, and what we've been through as as a as a species, and the progression we've made. And I mean, we see we see the the the, the destruction we we have wrought, and we can look at ourselves as a kind of vermin or plague on the earth that has gradually sort of, you know, just as just as any kind of um, parasite 
you know, at first you don't notice it and then pretty soon there's some discoloration on your arm and then pretty soon it's, you know, you can really see the destruction and your hair falls out. Um, you know, that's kind of, if you did a time lapse of the earth over the last 50,000 years, like human beings have been here a long time and you, do, you wouldn't have noticed them. But right. just, just recently, we've, we've reached the level of uh, like parasitic overpopulation where, the, where we're starting to kill the host. But at the same time, we have like done so, such incredible things and have built such an incredible hive and have conceived of such incredible notions. You know, we invented the idea of zero as far as we know, right? There's no zero in nature. Mm-hmm. We invented it and that, and, and, and that's, that's impressive work. Um, and so, but we never, we never stop and say like, leaving aside Valhalla and, um, and heaven where you're reunited with your ancestors, like what is our long-term goal? How do we think about our goal for humanity that, that will, that is generations long, right? Other than just build, build, build. Right. Right. What is our, what's our long-term plan now? And we're at, we're finally at a place where we can, where we can talk about this because before, Prior to this in human history, it's just like for, for, for millennia, it was just it was more like season to season. Like how do we stay alive? Yeah. How do we stay alive? How do we beat back nature and, and persist? And then, you know, certain, certain places it kind of morphed into like, okay, we don't need to, you know, my family at least says rich guy in 900 AD, like my family's going to survive now. Now, how do I consolidate power and money to myself so that I can protect my tribe or, you know, I mean, all these evolutions of, of the idea, but we're only now, and this is one of these ideas about like the nascent power of the internet. Mm-hmm. Only now are we able to see through the, through the broad sweep of time that we have the ability to start making plans for ourselves and our cities and where we're talking you know, this whole sustainability movement is, is a long-term game. Or there's no way we can even know what that will look like if it's succeeding. Yeah, right, right. You'll never know, but you have to make sacrifices and play a role in, in, a, in, a, in an ultimate goal that you're just, a, you know, you're just one of millions of participants in. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's very exciting and it could be very, it could be really uniting. Well, yeah, that, that's why I actually, why I brought up that quote, uh, and I'm glad you said what you said, cause it, it actually underscores what I was thinking. Um, I mean, first of all, like when you talk about stuff, like what we thought the internet would do for us, you know, um, the internet has, uh, ended up being something that we mainly use to amplify what we think. Or, or amplify, you know, what we want to have heard about ourselves and about the things that we care about. But in talking about the how uh, the more arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. When you were talking, we were talking earlier about how you deal with stuff like homelessness or these crime problems. I think the attractor, the magnet that helps pull that arc in a lot of ways. If you look back in retrospect at what has succeeded at so much of those times along the way, it's when we to the extent possible, kept reducing our sense of who is the other. 
If you look at, look at anything mm. that has ever gotten better about people, it's about realizing there really isn't any such thing as another. Mm. I mean, we needed that other when it was about tribes, right? If you want, mm. if it was 900 AD and you wanted to keep your castle going, you know, like you had, there were, everybody was another except for this group. It's just that, you know, you look at what's happened in the past week. Think about where we were two years ago, let alone 10 years ago mm. with thinking about like who's allowed to love each other publicly. Um, I think a big amount of that, I'm far from the first person to point this out, but it helps a lot when you start realizing, first of all, there's a lot more of that kind of people than I thought. Isn't that interesting? It's not really, you know, one in 10 or less. It could be a lot more than that, and it could be a lot more complicated than that. But then you also start to realize they are not, they're, they're not monsters. Maybe they deserve to be human beings uh, in a way that I didn't expect just by having, just by virtue of the fact that I've now been exposed to those people. And I see that they are just people, and I am the monster. That, I think a lot of that has happened in the last two years. Again, I'll speak for myself in some ways. There's all kinds of stuff where I'm going, like, I'm the real monster here. Like, all these other people that I think are, are impinging on the thing that I'd like to announce are, are, are not the problem. <laughs> the problem is I'm not paying enough attention to who I think is the other and, like, what kind of case they have, how sad it is that they have to even make a case. Do, mm. do, do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I, I, I agree that there, that there is no other. And ultimately, I mean, I remember when I was in high school, I had a couple of good friends who were really conservatives, um, you know, high school conservatives, right? They loved Jack Kemp. He was their hero. And they were this kind of, uh, they were the, the young Republicans uh, who have a sort of sharp dressed and sharp edged ideology. And that, you know, that makes them feel very kind of superior and cool, particularly when they contrast themselves against the like soft liberalism, right? Soft and wasteful liberalism. And these guys were a couple of my really close friends. We, we shared a, we shared a taste in music and we shared taste in comedy and we enjoyed each other's company, but we just could not, uh, and, and actually we enjoyed arguing about politics. It was a thing that, that sort of, uh, you know, bound us together in a way. But the, the, the way that they, they had a quote that, that they would uh, use to kind of try to defeat me in arguments when I would start talking too much about collective action or collective thinking. And I think one of them had seen it on a bumper sticker one time and they would just throw it in my face. They would, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be spinning this like story about how there, there was no race uh, it was just a construct and we needed to, you know, and this in 1986 or 1985 or whatever, that wasn't as popularly known. And these guys would sneer at me and go, one planet, one people, please. <laughs> Which was a bumper sticker, I guess. Like a one, liberal, like a liberal, like the kind of thing you'd buy at the co-op food store. Yeah. One planet, one people, please. And, you know, and and I would kind of stand there and go like, yeah, actually, right? I mean, one planet, you can't dispute that. One people, pretty much, pretty much one people if you, if you think about it. Um, and the please part, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know what to say. Do you, would you rather it be one planet, one people by force <laughs> but it's also it's it's also getting to something that I I happen to I don't love feeling this way but agree on which is that liberals can be insufferable yeah. just the worst yeah. 
It'll be a great day when our schools have all the money they need and their Air Force has to have a bake sale to buy a bomber. First of all, that's too fucking long to have on a bomber sticker. <laughs> you need to edit that shit down. Yeah. Like, you, you can't read it. It's, well, it's, too, it's too small. One Planet, One People, Please got, got <laughs> edited down to coexist. Oh, with all the little symbols? Yeah, the Bono. Oh, my God. That is, that is so perfect. That is such a perfect summary of what is annoying about liberals. That First of all, they're using all of these different symbols to, to form an English word. They're, they're like... They're fucking with all of these <laughs> very important symbols of different peoples and faiths to make an English language word. To make, that a, they can, to make a font. To make a font, yeah, that they can then put on their, their suburban or whatever. Yeah. Oh, God. I, uh, I, I showed up at my office today, and um, my office manager, the, the manager of the building, uh, slipped a key fob under the door for me. Uh, the key fob being the new way that we're going to enter and exit the building. Oh, it's keyless entry? Keyless entry. Mm. Key fob. Key fob. fob. And the key fob is is built in such a way that there's really no way to carry it except on your key ring. It is a key fob. It's that you can't slip it in your wallet. You can't. It's it, it's small enough that it, it would get lost if you didn't put it somewhere. And so I have to put it on my keys now. But it's made out of that that kind of putty-colored plastic that all IBM PCs are made out of. Yeah, it's like that, that universal uh, putty-colored dingus plastic color. It's putty dingus. Putty dingus. Dingus putty. Dingus putty. And, um, and so I have this thing on my keys that now basically makes it look like my keys got lost and this is the tag that they put on them in lost and found. It, it looks like a piece of evidence now, or it looks like, like I curate the look of my keys, right? I'm, hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not just some person with a bunch of dumb keys. Like I have a little leather, uh, flap that has a, that's tooled a little tooled leather flap. Uh, on my key ring that has a little kitten on it. <laughs> and then I arrange my keys in, uh, in the order that I, that I prefer to find them. And one of the keys has a little piece of red tape on it. And one of the keys is branded Seattle Seahawks. And now I have, and there are a couple of keys that are ni- like nice classic looking keys, like old, older keys, heavy style keys that I'm very proud of. And then I have this fucking dingus putty mm-hmm. thing on here. And I know this is meant to make my life better. I know I understand that it's um that it's part of the modernization project. Yeah, but it's it's so hegemonic. Um it's 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 sort of like, you know, I have a feeling that for years now you think about all those dumb loyalty programs. Like, you know, you, you buy nine subs and you get a free sub. Or mm-hmm. you got to have what we used to call a check cashing card if you wanted to get the discount at uh-huh. the grocery store. I mean, I imagine that in some way the technology has existed for years to do what most of us do now, which is enter our phone number at the thing. You don't want to, but you want the discount, right? Right. But I think the technology has probably existed for years. I think the real trick to having those loyalty cards is having a constant advertisement in your wallet for this place. That's what the loyalty card is. Because when you're doing your little taxonomy of keys and figuring out, in this case, what goes in your wallet, you have to decide which ones of those are important enough. But now, like right next to your driver's license, your credit card, and a picture of your kid is a, is a thing about subs. 
You carry around an advertisement about subs in your wallet all the time. Which is brilliant. If you can, if you think about it, it's pretty brilliant that they pulled that off. I think that's what's happening with all these dingus, these dingai, the, the, mm. the, the dingai putty is, is, mm-hmm. is that they want, when you buy a fucking car now, they want you to carry this thing that's the size of a large matchbox. <laughs> My, with the car, the car we got last year, I can't, I, I like, what is, do we really need to have a key this large? <laughs> because it doesn't want to be a key. It wants to be the nexus of keys. It, it yeah. wants the, that's the hegemony. Yeah. <laughs> Why is college coming back to you this week? <laughs> but that's what it wants to be. It doesn't want to be a king. He wants to be king of the keys. And yeah. then everybody else cleaves unto him. King key. King key. Oh, whoa, uh, betide you. How how many dinguses do you have? Um, uh, it's, you know. It's, how many uh, big guy? You want to know the truth? Mm-hmm. I have the most basic, uh, you know, the kind of keychain where you open up with your thumbnail and put, put, put the keys on there? Yep. Two keys. Whoa! What? I house spent key, four, office been, key? House key, office key. I spent 48 years getting it down to two keys. I used oh. to think it was a sign of status to have many keys. Many people yeah. still believe this. Yes. But, um, no, I have, uh, I have those two keys. If two I need the car key, keys. I grab the car key. Two keys. Not having the car key on there also means I drive less. Two keys. So I mean, yeah. no. The thing is also like I don't have a lot of dough. Like I don't own boats and stuff like that. And I'm not trying to look down on people who do. But like to me, that's freedom is fewer keys. Mm-hmm. Somebody, somebody should definitely write that down. Freedom, freedom. is fewer keys because every key you get is another thing you have to take care of now. I remember when I had zero keys in my twenties, and I this remember is when you were living in the minivan. <laughs> when I was living in the minivan, and I didn't even have a key to it. <laughs> Uh, and then this is I a got a great story. And then, then at one point that was a huge deal is they like, here's a key to the house. If you really need it, don't abuse it. Right. Yeah. I got a key. And then when I got a job, I got a key to my, my work and, uh, I had a key to an apartment and a key to my work. And then the, I had those two keys for a long time. And then the, I got, I was like the assistant manager and they gave me a different key. Is this the newsstand? The newsstand, mm-hmm. three keys. And then my mom moved to town, and I had a key to her house, four keys. Uh, and I didn't get a car. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't get a car in Seattle until I was about 30 years old. And then I had a key to that. And at a certain point, when the er, in the early long winters tour days, you know, I had like I remember so many keys. You looked like a superintendent. You had that giant ass yeah. wallet yeah. with all the currencies of the world in it, mm-hmm. and all of the the money the band had made. You had a giant giant trucker's wallet, yeah. and you had a huge ring of keys. You looked like a superintendent. Yeah, I did. I did. I was, and you know, and I was probably wearing a hat that said uh, <laughs> "King Ropes Shared in Wyoming" or or uh, or you know Mar- Marvin's uh, Gas and Go. Tight women loosened here. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, but, uh, you, uh, you for years you had a hat that said "chick magnet" on it. Chick magnet, uh, <laughs> because I believe in truth in advertising. But now, I have, I have this key ring that has, you know, that's been that's been really good. Office keys, house keys, and now I have a fucking dingus on it. And I just, I, it's only been on there for the length of this program. I, I was putting it on my key ring as I as I was sitting here waiting for you to call, and I'm just looking at it. I'm trying to figure out. You know, the dingus kind of sticks out at an angle from the rest of the keys because... Ugh, it's so gross. I couldn't have that on there. I used to have like a little aluminum um, bottle cap opener. You know, one of those little, oh, yeah. super light little things. Even that was too much. I had to, had to take that off of there. So what do I do? Do I put this on I, a rope around my neck? I you mean, carry a backpack? It's going to give me a cancer. Um, I carry my 
briefcase because I am a serious oh, right. candidate for public office. Well, to so me, that- like in my lifestyle, that's that screams backpack to me. You know, it's just, but I mean, are you with me a little bit on the hegemony thing? Like, it seems like everything wants to be the center of everything now. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, think about how many things are becoming more externalized where you used to have, uh, I mean, let's go way back. You would have a pocket watch in your pocket. You'd have a, you know, a billfold in your, in your jacket. You might have, you might have keys, but like very few of your items of flair would be external. Now, when I go pick up my kid at camp or the zoo, especially with the women, like, I guess they don't want to carry a purse or something, but they're walking around with all this stuff. They have these giant, they're like a jailer with this giant ring of keys to mini, mini minivans, yeah. all the little matchboxes on there. They got a phone and maybe an iPad. They got a wallet. It's like they, people just carry that stuff around with them now. It seems, it seems so strange to me. Well, <laughs> like I, I never go anywhere without a jacket and a backpack. You will always need a jacket and a backpack because it's, you know, and, and, and like, here's the thing, like with my kid, like I, 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 my wife and I go around on this sometimes where it'll be 70 in the morning and I'm like, listen, I don't care if it's 80. The thing is, our kid is being raised in San Francisco and she will learn to always have a jacket with her, always. Yes. Never not have a jacket because here's the thing, you can take it off. We are Pacific Coast people. Yeah. And you need a jacket, a light jacket. Within five years, most children will be born wearing fleece. Mm -hmm. I went the other day, uh, I was lucky enough uh, to meet a guy who runs a company that is devising um, or building out VR and AR technologies. Mm. And I went to their shop. AR is AR augmented reality? Augmented reality. I went to their shop and I put on an Oculus headset. Beep boop. And I was ushered into a, a virtual reality um, universe and given several tours of different um, virtual realities and try, tried on a couple of headsets, including the one that, uh, the one made of cardboard, I think. Mm, that, mm-hmm, the Google one? The Google one. Yeah. And some others that where you just kind of slip your big, uh, your big Nokia phone into a slot, and all of a sudden it's a, it functions as a VR. Right, right. And um, you know the state of the technology right now is, is it's very new, and a lot of the stuff I was looking at kind of felt like the uh, money for nothing video. Uh, oh right, like very basic wireframe, like yeah. po- polyhedrons. Uh, look at this uh, guy. Look at him. <laughs> that ain't working. <laughs> Get your money on your MTV. Uh, there, you know, I mean, obviously better than that, but but still, like, uh, yeah, this is not. Let's let's not call this reality. But there were some incredible. I mean, there was some incredible stuff, footage shot from three dimensional cameras or you know like 360 degree cameras where you're flying in a helicopter over beautiful Iceland and you're able to kind of turn your head and look around this this place and um, and in you know just sort of in in um, it's not in real time but you are able to explore a kind of uh, an environment and as I was as I was uh, in that world, I felt like, yeah, right. As a as from a gaming standpoint, or from a um, from a like demo uh, job training standpoint, or from a um, 
from a touristic standpoint, like this type of thing is very interesting. But really, it's augmented reality that is going to be where we live. Yeah, That's going to be our universe. And I feel like all these key fobs and iPads and uh, and this sort of backpack or purse full of gidgets and gasmos um, like where that's all leading is that in our glasses which we're all going to wear in our in our visors there will be a constant sort of ebb and flow between reality and the augmentation of it and you're going to you know, you're going to look at the, at the lock on your door and it's going to open because it's going to recognize. Right, your, right. It would be the right triangulation of things. Like, yeah. right, that there's, you, you, there's presence, the presence is you, you are look, looking at it, and, you know, yeah, exactly. But the right combination of things. There's so many things that AR could change. Yeah, you're just... So you're, much sooner than VR. Walk around and you just sort of like, huh, I would like to activate the, the history, you know, the, like, ar- local archives, uh, because I want to know when this building was built and when the addition was put on and it's just like pow. And then you're like, I'm really, I'm on the bus. I'm really bored right now. I would like to bring up some, some infotainment, but there, but I'm always going to have, I'm always going to be able to look through it in order to make sure that nobody steps on my foot or, you know, nobody takes me by surprise. And this kind of like in and out of, of uh, reality mm-hmm. is is the new reality, and it's you know it's so tantalizing to look at it in its in its germinating stage and just say like wow this is like so it's so primitive so primitive right now compared to what it'll be yeah and and so like the 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 endless possibilities of it are truly an evolu- uh, uh, like an, an evolutionary possibility like it, we we cannot know because. It would be like, it would be like uh, being a lizard and imagining that you had um, warm blood or something. Like it's just there's going to be so much. Our minds are going to work so much differently. Life is going to be so much different. And uh, and it's thrilling. And I just you know just just the ability to kind of put on a headset and be in a world. Um. And and it will always be alien to me, you know. But it won't be to my kid or yours. And I feel like I feel like we will always be, I we will be mocked and derided, our generation, because we bridged this gap between a purely mechanical world, like the the generation before ours. You know, they went out and worked on their cars on a Saturday. Right. And we have spent our whole lives playing Myst. <laughs> and the next generation is going to be able to conjure all data at, at, at once. And we're going we're gonna to look at the loonies because we could have done it sooner, right? Or something. You know, or they're better, just, yeah. They're, they're going to see us, you know, here with our, like, like electric cars and it's just going to seem so funny like okay you could you had the electric car and yet you, you kept building highways you, yeah you didn't quite get it yet and yeah. you know and and we had our little phones and we spent all this time um 
using them to kind of using them as phones and right right all this you know we're just this 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 like connective tissue era where nothing nothing we're actually doing is elegant or i mean it's like the idea of going down and cruising the strip in your 57 chevy is so much more elegant oh yeah than sitting on facebook on a saturday night posting uh Posting like huffy, indignant messages on friends. <laughs> We're going to be best remembered on our good days for not getting in the way too much. <laughs> yeah, you didn't. You didn't directly stand in the way of incredibly obvious. You. You know what? Here's the thing that I love about you, Grandpa, is that over time you somehow found a way to be less and less standing exactly in the way of progress. <laughs> and you're standing there with your, you know, with your iPad that doesn't work because your cloud is full. <laughs> Going, shaking it and going, God damn it, I just need to upgrade my OS. I just need a fresh heel. When you um <coughs> when you get a leech on you, is it like in the movies? Does it make a little little bloody spot when you pull it off? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's got like teeth? Oh yeah, it's got Ugh, teeth. They're, they're, they're squirming and crawling on you and they're really they're literally like big. They are very big. But they're I mean, they're, they're kinda of like a slug looking. Yeah, there are little tiny there are leeches of all sizes, but these this particular leech uh, experience, they were leeches as big as slugs, bigger than snails, as big as big, big Western slugs. Yeah. And, but they're, you know, they are biting into you and, and sucking your blood. And uh, that's horrifying. It's horrifying even if you are not somebody who's already horrified by most things, uh, which I was then, you know. Like horrified by strange foods, horrified oh, yeah, of course. by sounds in the night, horrified by, uh, in, in some ways horrified by nature, even though I grew up kind of surrounded by nature. Like, I mean, I was never horrified by wolves, hmm. always horrified by bugs. I'm kind of like that with birds now. We've talked about birds so many times, but like little, little beady eyed animals are starting to freak me out more. So birds are, are the thing. That are getting under your skin. I mean, I get around okay, but as long as I don't think about it too much. But when I think about birds and the way that they move, yeah. it's, it's troubling to me. Like watching a pigeon move makes me very uncomfortable. When they're on the ground or when they're in the air? They're pretty elegant in the air. But when they're doing that quirky little herky-jerky dance when they're walking around. Yeah. And then people feed them. Ugh. Yeah. You imagine, you try to imagine what they're thinking. Yeah. A pigeon. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm now engaged in a process of trying to rid my house of the possum. Oh, is this? It's like a. It's a project now. It's a project, and I've got some possum traps mm-hmm. uh, in the basement and in the attic. The possum has so far now. We're we're going into day three, day four. The possum has avoided the traps, but has also been kind of not around. I have not heard the possum, but I'm trying to imagine the possum. Imagine what he's thinking when he arrives, sees the trap, smells the bait. Mm-hmm. In the dark, in his little, he, his little bachelor pad, in his pad, he's like, "Wait a minute, something something new is here. It smells good, looks weird." Like where he goes in his possum mind, right now where he goes is is out back outside or something. He's not he's not falling for it. Mm. So I hope I don't. I hope I don't have like the smart possum. You know? oh, that would be so miserable. If you had an infestation of smart possums, uh, 
Oh no, no, like where they where they've got a learning uh, learning thing. You know, like the crows. Like if you cross a possum, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. But you cross a possum with a crow, you got a, you got some serious problems. Now let's think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. How much? What needs to happen in the possum community where they can achieve what the crow community has been doing for years? That the ability to share information with large groups of other members of the tribe. Yep, and I think the problem is possums are solitary, mm-hmm. and it's that their lack of social. That lack of like social connection, they're never going to get as smart as the crows. They I hope, I hope they keep those labs in different states. I'm with the possum lab and the crow lab. I don't want them to even have each other's phone number. I just want them in different places. Oh, think about that. Think so- of that. Somebody gets fired, wants to cause a little trouble. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They introduce a virus that makes possums social. Maybe. Oh, Jesus. This jar falls in this Petri dish. Whoops. And all of a sudden, possums are congregating. And you hear up in your attic here. Because they're having little conversations about you and like and like how funny it is that you think that trap works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they're just when you come out of the house, they're just kind of standing there on your porch, just looking at you, just without affect. They're not scared. They're not happy. They're not anything. They're just there. They're like they're just there. Yeah, this is my house. It's my house too now, buddy. Yeah, just wanted you to know that we're here and uh, like you do with the crows. That's right. They're pulling the crow move on you. I I am here. I see you. I'm here. I see you, John. I see you, John. Oh. Well done. (laughs) Oh, God almighty.